Good morning. Happy summer, right? Turn with me to John chapter 21, if you will. John chapter 21. As I listen back to my sermon from last week, this is a continuation of last week's sermon. It struck me that I don't believe I read John chapter 20. I don't believe I read my text last week. So uh, our title, the title of the sermon we're in right now, we're in a series called Each One Reach One. It's all about evangelism and discipleship and the need for it. And I'm going to be uh, showing you some things here at the beginning of this sermon that highlight the incredible need for that. But uh, we've kind of taken a, a, a twist on the WWJD thing and made it WDJD. What did Jesus do? It's, it's great to know. It's great to have the knowledge. But unless you put that knowledge into practice and into play in your life, then all it is is something you can win trivial pursuit with, right? And what we want to do is take what we learn from the Word of God and put it into practice in our lives. John chapter 21, verses 24 and 25 Say, uh, this is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Verse 25 is, has always struck me. Because John, because my name is John, I don't know why. But, but John is like my favorite gospel. And I love, I love the gospel of John. I love how Jesus is presented. I love the, the compassion that just oozes from the book of John. And you look at verse 25. And, and this is kind of a controversial verse with theologians and Bible scholars because they say that John here is speaking in hyperbole, that he's being, he's exaggerating when he says what he says here in verse 25. And I disagree because you look at, look at all the books that have been written about the life of Jesus. Look at all the books that have been written about the teachings of Jesus. You look at all the information we have, the websites, everything that's out there because of the life of Jesus, because of what he did. And look at what John writes in verse 25. And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if every one of them were written down, I suppose not even the world itself could contain the books that would be written. That's an amazing statement about one solitary life. One individual who lived in this world. I know Jesus is the Savior, was and is the Savior of, of mankind. And he only had three years of ministry, but... Understand that those three years, except for a couple instances, his birth, and then when he was 12 years old, only a couple instances we have recorded of Jesus in the 30 years of life before his ministry. So everything, for the most part, everything we know that has been written has been written about just that three-year period. Jesus did amazing things. He did enormous things. He did things that just mattered so much to life and should have such an impact on us. I believe that if we want to learn how to live life today in an effective way, in a powerful way, in a way that changes others, that's what we miss as Christians, I believe. We, you, you, Pastor John, I have enough trouble keeping myself in line. I get that. And we all do to an extent, right? Part of the reason is because we focus so much on our own desires and our own wants instead of doing the things that Jesus did and what Jesus wants us to do. And that's what this series is all about. Now, some people would say, why are you spending, you know, we're into our sixth month now of this year talking about evangelism and discipleship. That has been, um, that has been our, our single theme of all the messages this year, evangelism and discipleship. And there are those who would say, why? I've talked to pastors and, and quite honestly, 
Discipleship is, is the lost art of the church. I've said that before. Discipleship is, is gone out the window. We're, we're more concerned about entertaining people. In fact, I was watching CNN had a, um, a special with one of their, uh, he, he does the, he does the travels, travels around and he did different shades of America. I forget the guy's name that does that. And I saw it because he was talking about religion. And I said, well, I want to see this one. And he went to a very popular uh, pastor's church down in Texas and he interviewed, he, he, they, they critiqued. It's amazing when you talk to people from outside of faith and outside of what we do and what we believe and ask them their opinion of what we do in church and let them observe and see what they have to say. I read a book by an, a local author, um, 52, uh, uh, what was it called? 52 Sundays in America, Sunday in America. And it was about 52 different experiences. She traveled around the country visiting different churches, different denominations, to see how people worked, that it, uh, worshiped. And it was very interesting to see an outsider's take. But I watched this, this special, and it was a, a, a pastor from California was with this CNN host, and they went to this church, and they watched, and they kind of evaluated what he was doing and, and what they came up with, their, their observations before they talked to the pastor was, this is all a show. And they weren't, they weren't really being critical of that point. They were there in, this guy was in the TV industry, and he's like, well, that's what we do. And then they talked to the pastor, and he says, and it, it struck me, and maybe you have a different take, and we're all allowed to have our own opinions, okay? Don't get me wrong. But he said, I make no apology for approaching this as entertainment, because that's what we do. And I thought, boom, there it is. That's, what we're, that's, that's what's happening. We think we, need, we think we need to put on a good show for people in church. Let me tell you something, folks. When you boil Christianity, when you boil faith down to a 30-minute sitcom, you've got trouble. When you boil faith and when you boil the Christian life down to a 30-minute entertainment value program, We've got trouble. We're missing the point. Discipleship is the lifeblood of the church. Evangelism is the heartbeat of God. When we miss that, we miss the purpose of being here. We miss the purpose of living for Jesus. Now, why does evangelism and discipleship matter so much for, here, for us here in our community? Jonathan sent me a text of an article this week, and uh, then it showed up in my, uh, my email, the Barna uh, research on this. I, I, Bar, how, many, how many of you have heard of the Barna organization? Barna does, uh, they do uh, surveys and polls, and they, they do analysis of uh, Christianity in America, and they do research and, and they put out polls. And that's where we get a lot of our stati Christian statistics about what's going on in church, what's going on with faith in America. And this one was kind of, this one is, is devastating to me. It's devastating in some, area, in some instances, but it's incredibly motivating because of what this poll talks about. I'm going to put them up on the screen. Why does it matter so much? This, one, this poll, uh, this research project by the Barna Organization was about post-Christianity in America. That means, post means after, right? Past be gone by, okay? So this poll was all about 
America being post-Christian, Europe is considered post-Christian because their attitude towards faith is, um, is passe. So they did this survey, and, and in order to be considered post-Christian, a person or a community must meet nine of the following 16 criterias. Highly post-Christian uh, must meet 13 of the following criteria. And here what they are. First one is this. Do not believe in God. Okay? Second is they identify as atheist or agnostic. You would think those, you, you think those must go together, and they do to an extent, but there is a difference between them. The third one is they disagree that faith is important in their lives. Now, as we read these, think about yourself and your attitude, what you've been taught, what you heard, and especially those in your life, those you work with, those you live near, uh, those perhaps in your family, and their attitude and the conversations you've had about faith. Or the here's a, here's a big one, man, especially in this area. The conversations you're not allowed to have at family get-togethers, right? The conversations you're not allowed to have because why? Because they cause big-time arguments. And, and, and disruption and division in families, okay? The next one, the next criteria or metric that this is measured by is they have not prayed to God in the last week. Have not prayed to God in the last week. Then have never made, have never made a commitment to Jesus. Never made a commitment to Jesus. Disagree, the Bible is accurate. Next, have not donated money to a church in the last year. Have not attended a Christian church, not any church, a Christian church in the last six months. Agree that Jesus committed sins. That's a huge, that's huge right there. Okay? Do not feel responsibility to share their faith. Next, have not read the Bible in the last week. Hold this one in your mind, because I'm going to show you some statistics here in just a minute that I think will just absolutely, I hope, will absolutely blow your mind. Have not volunteered at church in the last week. Have not attended Sunday school in the last week. Have not attended religious small group or Bible study in the last week. And their Bible engagement scale is low. And that means they have not read the Bible in the past week and disagree strongly or somewhat that the Bible is accurate. That means that their Bible engagement, it, it, on, the, on the Bible engagement scale, they rank low. And lastly, they're not born again, which is different than never making a commitment to Jesus. Okay? Remember, we go back there. That's even the people that grew up in and went to, in our area, like went to Catholic school and things like that. Never made a commitment to Jesus. We're ready to relieve, not just yet. Now, when Barna does this, they, they give, the Barna organization, they give statistics about individuals in America. But they also rank metropolitan areas. That's where I get our, the information I share with you that we are the third least evangelized metro area in the country behind Las Vegas and San Francisco, right? The number one post-Christian metro area in America is, go ahead, Springfield, Holyoke, Massachusetts. We are the number one post-Christian 
metropolitan area in the country, according to Barna Research. That's amazing. That's incredible. And the number is, you look at the, the backup one there, Jonathan. 66% of the residents of the Springfield-Holyoke metropolitan area meet the criteria for being post-Christian. 66%. I have people ask me all the time, why is, it, why is it so hard? Why is it so difficult to get a church going? Why is it so difficult to get people motivated? And, and I was, I talked to some of my pastor friends that I've known for years, and one of them posted this. He lives out, he's from Connecticut, lives out in uh, Minnesota, I believe. And he posted this uh, study, and, and uh, I chimed in. I said, I, that's my ministry area. And I said, you have to approach it differently. The, you can't, people come up and they try, to, they try to do things that work in other parts of the country. They don't. This is a mission field, truly. You have to have a missions mentality when you work up here, because you're dealing with almost seven out of 10, every person has no knowledge, no, wor no working knowledge of what it means to hold a Christian faith. And now we're not even talking about being born again. Did you know that in Massachusetts, the percentage of born again Christians, people who claim to be born again, biblically defined born again is 9% in Massachusetts? Uh, let's go back. Before we continue on these statistics, let's go back a little bit. Because remember at the beginning of this, I said, we're not putting any emphasis on evangelism and discipleship. The discipleship has become the lost art of the church. That evangelism is out the window. That all we want to do is entertain. Look, man, seven out of every ten people around, <laughs> around us have no working knowledge of what it means to be a Christian. Wow. Yeah, let's put on a show. Here are some, oh, the next slide. Seven out of the, the top seven areas are in New England. Hartford, New Haven, the Hartford, New Haven, the Hartford, New Haven metropolitan area is number seven at 56%. By the way, it's really not even close between us at number one and the next state, the next city uh, metro area at number two. They're at 60%. So we have a comfortable lead. Okay. Here are some sobering statistics about our city. I'm not going to go through all 16 of them, but I've got a few of them written down here of what percent, where we rank percentage-wise on of, the, of these criteria. The number one, remember what I said, have not read the Bible in the last week? Look at this. Have not read the Bible in the last week. Let me, let me clarify this. This is not post-Christian people. This is every resident that was polled of the Springfield metro area, Springfield Holyoke metro area. That includes the believers that live here, have not read the Bible in the last week, 87%. Mm -hmm. Nine out of every 10 per people that live, the citizens that live in our area, including Christians, have not read the Bible in the last week. We wonder why we don't have the impact, folks. Oh, Pastor John, you're taking this awfully seriously. Yeah. I really, truly am. See, if people don't agree with me on baseball, it ends at the end of the baseball season, right? Tonight, tomorrow night, the, the Raptors and the Warriors are going to play. Raptors could wrap up the NBA title. You know what? Basketball season's over after tomorrow night. All arguments are done. 
And really, there's no consequence for anybody except the players. That statistic, what we're talking about right now, has eternal consequences for people. People are literally going to die and go to hell. Well, that's your belief. Exactly. And let me tell you something. Here's how I approach this. If I'm wrong with my faith, and I'm just saying this hypothetically, because there is not a cell in my body that believes I'm wrong in how I believe in faith. But if I'm wrong, all I've done, and I'm not saying this arrogantly, I'm just saying this honestly, all I've done with my life is live my life according to a set of rules and regulations or a set of guidelines that allowed me to live productively, honestly, with character and integrity, and do my best to help other people live better, healthier, more productive lives. Okay? That's all that happens if, my, if, if, I'm, wrong, if, if I'm wrong. But if I'm right... And like I said, every cell in my body believes I am. That by not reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ, they're going to die and go to hell. It's a whole lot, whole lot more important than my embarrassment over the topic. 87%. That takes in a whole lot of Christians. What does that tell me? We're not discipling people, Bob, right? That means our job is huge. Next one, have not attended a Christian church in the past six months, 65%. Drive around on a Sunday morning on your way in here. You'll see it's true. People are doing other things. Everybody's got more important things to do. And we set the standard there. Let's bring it back to us. Because quite honestly, let's be honest, folks. I know this feels like a brow beating today, but it's really, I guess it is intended to be that way. Let's be honest. We set the tone, right? We set the tone. If being in church isn't important enough for us, then why is anybody going to follow us to church? Right? I've got on my Chevy Silverado pickup truck, I have uh, the ichthus, and then I've got an ichthus with a cross that my wife bought me. And, and they're proudly emblazoned there. But all those are are stickers on a truck if there's not a life behind them that backs up what they're supposed to stand for. We go on. Never made a commitment to Jesus, 60%. Have not prayed to God in the last week, 47%. Disagree that faith is important, 41%. And do not believe in God fully, 11% of our community does not believe in God, period. Period. Man, those are some sobering statistics that bring us to what we're talking about right now. Do you understand? I hope you understand now in a better way why this is so vital why this is so important. One of the things we're going to be doing over the course of the summer is starting a men's ministry. We're going to be getting together with men. And, uh, and ladies, I, there's nothing against you. We, we love you, right? But men need men in their lives. Men need men. At the birthday party yesterday for the boys, I was able to talk with uh, the two coaches of the baseball team and trying to start relationships with these guys so that I'll have the, the, the change in my pocket when the time comes to share my faith with them. And I was trying to get to know them, where they're from, and, and uh, trying to bridge that gap because I am so much older than most of the guys, uh, most of the fathers of, of the team. And 
we shared a common experience. I wanted, the, I wanted them to know that raising my two boys, raising, you know, my, my son is, my oldest son is, is in his 30s. And now raising these two boys, I take that seriously. And I'm under no delusions. Gabriel and Michael are good baseball players. I'm just going to put that out there. They're very good. They both made the all-star team. Um, they love baseball. They're going to be playing all, most of the summer. They're going to be playing fall baseball. Let me tell you, the difference between playing Little League Baseball in Longmeadow and playing Major League Baseball is wider than the Grand Canyon. I'm under no delusions at all that my boys will ever be Major Leaguers. Okay, that's... And I, I talked to the coach, Greg, and uh, we, he's, he's, uh, he's within like eight years of me in age. I said, you know, Greg, I know a lot of people take this seriously. I take, it, I take it seriously. I want my boys to have fun. But what I want more than anything is for them to be, have the opportunity to have a great time playing high school baseball. Because high school sports was some of my favorite times. I loved playing high school sports. But I never got beyond, I mean, I played church league and beer league softball. That's about it, you know, right, Ryan? I mean, we're all, all of us who, who, who thought we were great ball players end up playing in a church softball league, and we, we dominate the church softball league. That's great. What's that? <laughs> all right? But, but, I, but another reason is I want my boys to have a, that, that self-confidence and that that knowledge of themselves that there is value in their life. And I believe that athletics build that up, and the Bible talks a lot about athletics. And it's so important that we as fathers, as men, come together and sharpen each other and help us to be better at what we do because we all can help each other out. Going beyond that, it's because we need to build strong, godly, Christian men and fathers in this church so we can raise the next generation. And that's why we do these things. So when it comes to this, it's important we understand disciple, it is all about evangelism. It is all about discipleship. And we talked last week, we started talking last week about, uh, about the topic of what did Jesus do and Told you we're going to break this down into uh, three different categories at least. And the first one was that Jesus managed his personal life. I gave you this quote but from John Piper. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And we started talking about the first thing that I see when Jesus uh, managed his own personal life. And it was this. Jesus followed the Father's plan obediently. Jesus followed the Father's plan obediently. And we talked about the, the two different uh, aspects or facets of obedience. The first one is uh, obedience is compliance with an order. Remember, we compared that to being in the military. And uh, that was, that, that's where that idea of obedience comes from. But the second is submission to another's authority. And that's what we're talking about when we focus on our obedience to the plan of God for our lives. And let's be honest, that's where most of us struggle. In fact, I'll bet you all of us struggle with being obedient, especially when we become, become adults, right? Because as adults, we don't feel we need to obey anybody. We are our own people. We can do our own thing. And those are just suggestions. Listen, when it comes to following Jesus Christ, and when it comes to becoming successful as a believer and fruitful as a Christian, it's not a suggestion. You need to be obedient to the Father's plan. 
David Platt, a pastor down in uh, Washington, D.C., said radical obedience to Christ is not easy. It's not comfort. It's not health, not wealth, and not prosperity in this world. Radical obedience to Christ risks losing all these things. But in the end, such risks finds its reward in Christ, and he is more than enough for us. First thing I said was obedience must be, obedience to God must be our priority. And Jesus was our example. That's what we're going to be doing through this series, is looking at the example of Jesus in the things he did. Remember he said, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus said to the Father, not my will, but yours be done. I would prefer not to do this, Father. I'd prefer not to have to go through the pain and the agony. I'd prefer not to have to go through the separation when you turn your back on me. But not my will, yours be done, Father. May your will be accomplished. And that brings us to the second point. Obedience to God must be an intentional action in our lives. Obedience to God must be an intentional action in our lives. Jesus said many times, follow me. When he called the disciples, the, the, the 12, when he called the, the, the original apostles, he said, follow me. Right? When, he, when he talked to Peter, James, and John, he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Jesus said, if you want to be, uh, if you want to be successful in this life for me, for my purpose then you need to forget your life, turn your back on your life, and choose my life and come and follow me. Take up your cross and follow me. So every time Jesus talked about being successful in living a life that matters for Christ, it was always an intentional action of obedience. And being successful, following the Father's plan, managing our personal life like Jesus did, means this, obedience to God must be an intentional action in our lives. Not one of these, well, we don't when I've got the, when I've got the time, when it fits my schedule, when, when, you know, when I've got my ducks in a row, now we'll get busy on this. Time passes by. Time ticks away. And if we don't take intentional action now and begin to incorporate the, the, the purpose of Jesus Christ in our lives now, then we're going to lose that momentum. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. Here is where, for many of us, the rubber meets the road. Because everybody has an opinion. Everybody has an excuse. Everybody has an argument for why they can't follow Christ, why they can't make a commitment to the church, why they can't do this in their Christian life, why they can't do that. Well, you know what? I just, I just don't believe. And let's be honest. I mean, we just looked at a whole lot of statistics that tell us where we're at. And some of you that are under the age of 30 and under the age of 40, some of you have friends, right, that you grew up with in church that have walked away. You talk to our, our youth pastor, our assistant pastor, our youth pastor. Zach, over the last 17, 16, 17 years, has invested his life in literally hundreds of teenagers. Hundreds of teenagers that have come through this church. And I look around, and there's not many here. Is that a failure on our part? No. I think we can sit down and analyze uh, and maybe make some changes and, and you know, figure out what it is that we need to do to keep up with it. But quite honestly, we're not the only church. 
that has that happen to them. The estimate right now is less than 10% of all kids that grow up in an evangelical church stay in an evangelical church after they graduate from high school. We're doing something wrong. You know what we're doing wrong? You know what we're doing wrong? Youth workers, we're not discipling our kids. We're not discipling our teenagers. We're not connecting with them. We're not connecting them to their faith and helping them to understand that their faith must connect with their life if they're going to survive this life for Jesus Christ. Part, a big part of the problem is that we get a hold of those teenagers as teenagers. And nowadays, when they're teenagers, they're pretty set. It is very difficult to get a teenager to change and to change their mindset. So we start when they're kids. My, I, when I walked in at 10 o'clock, a uh, Bible study with my, with my mom. My mom has a children's Bible study at 10 o'clock. And uh, she was telling me, uh, I gave him a challenge. Next week, I'm, I'm in junior church. My 85-year-old mom, 84. She'll be 85 this year. 84-year-old mom. Old, my, uh, I'm going to go ahead and say this, Charlie. Okay? My 84-year-old dad... 85-year-old dad can teach a Bible study on Sunday morning. He can get himself up and be here and do work at this church all week long. He can prepare and he can serve and he can be faithful. And my 84-and-a-half-year-old mom can do discipleship with women in this church. She's discipling some, a couple women right now and more on the line and could teach a Bible study to children. And their health, they have health challenges. You think you have health challenges? Talk to my parents. And yet they can make that commitment. So now talk to me about how it can't fit into your life. I'm serious. You say, well, Pastor John, you seem kind of, kind of, kind of wound up this morning. I am. I just looked at those statistics and I've, I've chewed on them all week long. And you know what I realized? We don't have time to, be, to, to, to take our time. We need to be about, as Jesus said, we need to be about the Father's business. And this needs to be a serious factor in our lives. Paul said this to us. If you want to follow Christ, if you want to be obedient to Christ, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Those are intentional actions of obedience on our part if we want to grow in Christ. We demolish those arguments. We put them, man, they, they, they can't gain a foothold. You know the problem with most Christians? You listen to those outside of faith. Well, you know, I read on the internet. Okay. But did you read in the Bible? Well, I don't have a Bible. Well, you just said you had internet. You can go to, well, I can't understand it. Blueletterbible.org. An incredible site for study. Breaks it down, has literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of, of, of commentaries and things. It's very easy to use. It's all there. We don't need, like when my dad was teaching me when I was nine years old how to do verse, uh, word studies and break down verses. We don't need a concordance in three different commentaries and, and Bible dictionary. It's all there on the internet and more. You see, we demolish those arguments. 
We tear them down. We break them up. We get rid of them. We destroy them in our lives. Why? Because we believe in Jesus. If you don't believe the Bible is true, you lost the battle already. The only way you're going to understand truly the importance of evangelism and discipleship is to accept the fact that the Bible is 100% the word of God. Once you start from, no, 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 no. But why does it say this? When, when Aaron was, was growing in her faith, she'd come back at me with these questions. I said, Aaron, listen, I've given you the answer. But, 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 Aaron, I've given you the answer. But, 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 Aaron, I've given you the answer. You never want to answer. I've given you the answer, Aaron. Here's the problem. You don't want to accept that answer. Right? You don't want to accept once you accept the fact that the Bible is the word of God, the questions are answered by the Bible. Once you accept the fact, and I know, I know, the way many of you were raised, the way many of you grew up in this area, that's a huge step of faith in your life. For me, it wasn't so much. I was raised in a house of faith. So what I have to do is change my Mentality. I have to change my, I have to destroy the arguments of, well, it's that easy. It's not that easy for a lot of people, right? Because people weren't raised with it. So I have to understand that we have to take a little bit of different tack from, on things than, than I, when I was raised. But listen, until you accept the word of God as the word of God, you'll never demolish those arguments. You will always struggle with the truth of the word of God. It is or it isn't. Well, part of it, no. Well, it contains, no. It is the word of God. Paul talked about one group of Christians and he said, we pray, I, I praise God for them because they accept the word of God for what it is, the word of God. Remember, I, I've heard people say, well, Jesus never claimed to be God. You've never read the Bible then. Because he has over and over and over again. Read John chapter 1, where the declaration is made that Jesus is, he, he's, he's called the Word. He's the living Word. And it says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. He is God. Once you accept that, well, my, my Jehovah's Witness friends told me, it doesn't matter. They don't accept the Bible as the Word. Well, my Mormon friends said, well, it doesn't matter. They don't accept the Bible as the Word of God. You see, stop listening to other people and start reading your Bible. The thing that 90% of our region doesn't do on a weekly basis. 2 John verse 6 says, And this is love that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. We walk in obedience to his commands. You don't have to like it. It doesn't have to make you happy. It just has to be something you do. It may make you uncomfortable. It may not get you invited to parties, but I'll guarantee you, you ask my wife, now that she has accepted the word of God as the word of God, ask her what happens when people's lives fall apart, who do they come to? I'll, I'll brag on Erin, not tell on Erin, I'll brag on Erin. She was three weeks behind in her college work. You know why? 
because almost on a daily basis, she was getting calls from people whose lives were falling apart. And she was able to sit down and share Jesus with them. She has two, two women who have never been connected. They meet, they, they meet those criteria that we read that are this close, this close to accepting Jesus as their Savior. Walk in love. Walk in obedience to the Word of God. Obedience is an intentional action on our part. I'm going to do it. That doesn't mean you're perfect. That doesn't mean you always do the right thing. What that means is when you do sin, when you do fall, you incorporate 1 John 1.9 into your life. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. You call sin, sin, you confess it, and he forgives it, and now you can move on. Obedience is an intentional action on our part. James 1.22, but be you, doer, be you doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Next, we see that obedience to God demands change in our lives. Obedience to God demands change in our lives. Talk to addicts who are in a program, and they'll tell you, they, the programs say change, you've got to change people, places, and things. AA is based on that. You know what AA is based on? The principles of the Bible. Remember the, some of you, I don't know, anybody remember the song, uh, Great Change? There's been a great change since I've been born again. I know my parents uh, the things I used to do, I don't do them anymore. There's been a great change. The, the, the people I used to see, I don't see them anymore. The places I used to go, I don't go there anymore. There's been a great change since I've been born again. I'm not going to sing the rest of it to you because you probably won't come, you probably won't come back. But, uh, but that's it, man. We need to, and, and sometimes, you know what? You say, well, what am I going to do? Am I? Sometimes you don't necessarily, there are some people you can keep in your life because we have to reach the world. But what has to change in you is the purpose for which you are now reaching to people in their lives. You're not just reaching to make friends. You're reaching to share the love of Jesus Christ with them. You see, obedience to God requires radical change in our lives. And that radical change is our change of purpose. The reason for living. The reason for doing what you do. Listen, I, we, we have... You know, we, we make a lot about uh, having a social media presence. And there are churches that, and pastors that are so against it. You can't disciple people over the internet. Okay, but you can evangelize them, right? You can evangelize them. It's important. It's important. You have this amazing opportunity to reach people through a medium that ha wasn't available just 10 years ago. It's all about purpose. It's all about why you do what you do. And I try to explain to them, listen, guys, we're not doing, we're not doing Facebook church. We're using Facebook as a means to reach people, to connect with them. That's why we have so many things that we put out there. That's why uh, we, we put posts out there on a daily basis just about. So we connect. We can be a presence in people's lives. Because today they might not care about us, but tomorrow something may fall apart and they may need to reach out. Today they might not be concerned about going to church, but tomorrow something may click and they might need to connect. And we need to be there. Or maybe there's that one person that is seeking 
for something, for truth in their life because everything else they've tried has failed. And they see a post from New Life that has hope in it. And they say, you know what? Let me investigate this. And they end up coming to church and finding Jesus, the source of hope. Obedience to Christ demand, obedience to God demands change in our lives. Jesus said to them, he was talking to the rich young ruler. He said to him, if you want to be perfect, go sell your belongings and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. The sad part of the rich young ruler's story is the last part. When the young man heard that, he went away grieving because he had many possessions. The rich young ruler couldn't handle the fact that change was required. And let's be honest, many of us don't make commitments, deeper commitments in our lives for Christ because we don't want to change. We don't want to change. Some of us, we don't want to change our minds. Listen, if I change my, if, you're telling me if I change the way I think about something, then I have to say everything else before me is wrong. I'll, I'll make another humorous Pastor John um, transparent comment, okay? And this one's going to hurt, man. This, I'm telling you, this one's going to hurt deep, and you'll know why. Because I was never... Never a Tom Brady fan. It's like, it's like, man, yeah, what in the world? What in the world, man? It's a, he's a one-hit wonder. Well, anybody can win two Super Bowls. Just ask, okay, just ask Eli Manning, right? Three, come on. Terry Bradshaw has four. Joe Montana has five. Brian, I got nothing to say now. I got nothing to say. And if I am going to be intellectually honest when it comes to, and I, so, so some of you, this means absolutely nothing, right? It's like a silly, silly conversation, right? I'm trying to make a point with a frivolous instance here. But if I'm going to be intellectually honest, I now have to say, truthfully, that Tom Brady has got to be one of the three greatest quarterbacks in history of the NFL. And that hurts. Yeah. <laughs> you have no idea. You have no idea. Don't look at me smugly with that smile on your face. That hurts. That hurts. And that's on Facebook, and it's going to be on the internet, and it's never going away. That hurts. And there is nothing you can do to change that, Brian. There's nothing you can do. You just can't do anything about that. But you have to accept it. And that silly little comparison there makes a big point when it comes to our walk with Jesus Christ. Because there are some things that you're hanging on to in your life so desperately, just like that silly argument against Tom Brady, that you will not let go of because you're afraid of people saying you were wrong. Listen, when it all comes down to it, who cares? about that little admission I just made. Now, some people will, sure, about, sure enough. But that means nothing in the scope of eternity. But if I will not get rid of those arguments that I have that, and just not accept the truth of the word of God and be willing to change my mind, then I'll never be effective. And you say, well, who cares? Who cares that I won't be effective? Then people, how about we drop this bomb on you? You may not care that you're not effective as a Christian, but by not being effective as a Christian, people die and go to hell. And that should matter. 
And if that doesn't matter to you, I don't know what I got for you. I don't know what I can do for you. Because if it doesn't matter to you that people are dying without Jesus Christ and going to hell, then quite honestly, what are you here for? Because that's what we're about in this church. Obedience to Jesus Christ demands that we change not just our actions, but our attitudes, our mentalities. Oh, I don't like the way they do things at New Life. I do, I'm not going to buy in because I don't like everything. You know what? I don't like the way people tie their shoes. That's why I have these elastic things so I can just slip my shoes on. But I'm not going to tell people not to tie their shoes anymore. And it's not going to keep me away from a church full of people that tie their shoes. How many of you tie your shoes? Do you realize how much time in your life you're wasting? <laughs> I have elastic shoelaces on all my shoes. And they're running laces, and I slip them on, and I don't tie my shoes anymore. I'm the only one here that doesn't tie their shoes anymore. You know what? I'm staying. I'm staying. It doesn't matter to me that you tie your shoes. It's okay. My point is this. We're not going to agree with each other and even with the leadership of this church on everything. Sometimes I don't even agree with myself. But I'm staying and I'm going to jump in with both feet and get something done for the cause of Christ because it matters. We're going to have to wrap it up here very quickly. We'll pick this up. Let me just give you a couple verses to walk away with. You absolutely cannot be fruitful for Jesus if you haven't changed since you were saved. 1 Peter 1.14 is obedient children. Do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Do not conform. Before you were saved, before you walked with Jesus, you had those evil desires. Don't conform to them. Change. 2 Corinthians 5.17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. We must change. One of my favorite songs of all time is Never Be the Same by Hillsong Worship. 1996, man. Song for me survives the, the decades. I will never be the same. I will never be the same again. I can never return. I've closed the door. Man, I will walk the path. I will run the race and I will never be the same again. I'll be 57 this year. And I hope, 57, I hope the age, my age 57 year is better than my age 56 year in walking with Christ. Because I don't ever want to be the same again. I want to constantly become better for the cause of Christ. Obedience to God demands change in our lives. Change is a choice. Change is a choice. Obedience is a choice. And following Jesus Christ in radical obedience is a choice you must make. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? Thank you so much, by the way, with every head bowed, every eye closed. Thank you so much for putting up with this this morning. I know that this was tough this morning. And I believe it has to be. Because the days of, of coddling and the day, not, the, not that we do that here, but the days of, of entertainment in church have got to go away if we're going to reach this world for Jesus Christ. Especially the most post-Christian 
metropolitan area in America. We've got to get serious about our walk with Jesus. And that means we've got to become obedient to what he's called us to do. We've got to become obedient to the change he wants to make in our lives. And while every head bowed and every eye is closed, I wonder just before we pray and close this out, if you'd raise your hand and say, Pastor John, please, you, it spoke to me this morning. Something touched my heart. Would you please just pray for me? Because I'm not sure, thank you. I'm not sure what God wants for me. Thank you for those hands. I'm not sure what God wants for me. I'm not sure what needs to change, but I know something needs to change in my life. And I want you to pray for me. Anybody else raise their hand and say, Pastor John, would you please pray for me? My hand is up, folks. I'm asking you to pray for me. Thank you so much. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning and thank you for your word and the truth of it. Lord, sometimes it's difficult to hear the truth. Sometimes it's difficult to accept it. And Father, it, sometimes that change that must come about in our life, our, our life is, is difficult to accept. But Father, as we see the time here, Lord, if we go one more generation like we've gone here in this area, there's not going to be any witness for Jesus Christ left. We've got to be busy about your business. So, Father, I pray for those who raised their hands, for those who, who didn't. Lord, I pray for the work of the Holy Spirit this morning, the seed that was planted in hearts and lives. I pray that that will, will find good ground and will take root and begin to grow and change us in our ways for you. God, do a work in our lives for your kingdom. Give us the courage to be obedient. Give us the courage to be humble and obey your plan for our lives. Bless us as we go from here today. May we honor and live for you. In your precious name we pray and ask all these things.